Throughout the ages, the saints have received persecution. They have been tormented, some have been tortured, and others even put to death. So two questions, how should we treat those going through the persecution? And then number two, what should we expect that the Almighty will do to those who have afflicted the righteous? About a month ago, my wife and I were where every married couple should be. It's Saturday morning at 6.15. IHOP. <laughs> we had just finished having our devotions and taking a 30-minute walk, and we're out for breakfast. We came in and saw that the waitress was distraught. Turns out that a couple had come in just before us, and they had cursed her out. Why? Because she told them they need to wear their mask. In our county, currently, there's a mask mandate. She was just doing her job. So, as I was seated and with my wife, we watched as this couple came back in, this time with masks on. But I knew they were going to give that waitress a hard time. So, when the waitress came up to the table a little bit later, I said, Hey, listen, today you get a double tip. One from us and one for the couple that will not tip you. <laughs> she thanked us so very much. But think about this. She endured persecution for doing her job. Likewise, children of God who carry out the Great Commission will similarly receive persecution. We've been called to this. We should accept that this is part of our Christian journey. And as you're turning with me to Second Thessalonians chapter 1, we will observe that the Lord takes note on those that are suffering and persecuted for the cause of Christ and will repay the individuals that have tormented them. Let me pitch three questions your way. Number one, how should you respond to God for maturing, suffering saints. When God matures the saints, how should you respond to that? Number two, what should you anticipate concerning the wicked and righteous at the second coming? And then number three, how should you pray for persecuted believers? Second Thessalonians chapter one, beginning in verse three, remembering we're now in the first section of the book, continuing despite persecution. That's the first section of Second Thessalonians, and it covers all of chapter one. Verse three, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you 
and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of his calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. And you and him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Join me in prayer. Father, I thank you for these saints. Thinking back 2,000 years ago and how they were persecuted and yet continued to grow in their faith. Thank you that they were a model church back then as they still are to us today. May we imitate them so that we can be a church that is an example to all those around us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Beginning in verse 3, Paul says, We are bound to thank God always for you. We are bound. Uh, the present tense verb shows a continual obligation. As someone that is indebted to another, Paul Silas and Timothy feel obliged to express thanksgiving for the growth of these saints. Because notice it says here, to thank, to thank. In most of Paul's letters, he offers thanks for the saints. He doesn't do so in the book of Galatians because they had gotten off the beaten path. And were ready to submit to those who said you need to return to the law. But here he expresses thanks. And I love the expression here. Always. Always. Do you provoke thanksgiving in the minds of those who know you because of your Christian life and witness? And he calls them, and I love the term here, brethren. In the Gospel of Matthew... Chapter 1, verse 2, and in verse 11, we see the term brethren used of biological brothers throughout the rest of the New Testament and used often, often is brethren used of those who are related because of belief in the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and conquering death. In other words, we're united through the blood of Jesus Christ with now an eternal, an eternal family relationship. And when he says he gives thanks, I love the words as it is fitting. Fitting speaks of something internal. There's an external value that can be added. There's a term timios. From the Greek New Testament. And when you read in Revelation 17, it speaks about precious stones, the word precious, something that is given to someone that adds value. The term that Paul chooses here speaks of that from 
within. It is appropriate. It is fitting because of what is inside of you to give thanks for the saints that are maturing because your faith grows exceedingly. And by the way, this is an answer to the prayers of the Apostle Paul in First Thessalonians chapter three in verse 10 night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. He had prayed that these saints would grow in their faith. And sure enough, not only did they grow, but it says here that they grew exceedingly. To go beyond the term that is used here, translated grows exceedingly is a hapax legomenon, a word that's only used once from the Greek New Testament. It carries the idea of beyond and to grow. Flourish might be a good term that we could use to define what is going on here. The idea from Ephesians 3.20, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. Their faith had exceeded boundaries and limits and Paul's excited. Not only their faith, but and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other their sacrificial love is more than enough that's the concept of abounds it excels it exceeds it just carries and wins the day and it's to each other we need each other. We're called to be with each other. When you read First Thessalonians, each other occurs a lot. Galatians 6.10 expresses how we should treat each other. As we therefore have opportunity or season, let us do good to all. The idea is all men, but especially those who are of the household of faith. Their faith was mushrooming. Their love continued to grow. And Paul is so thankful for that because they demonstrate that they love God because they cared for each other. The result is now given in verse four. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. We ourselves, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, this is stated emphatically, they're very thankful for what the Almighty is doing. And it's among the churches of God. Recall, this is a model church. Back in 1 Thessalonians 1, they followed these saints, Paul and Silas, and then the Lord. They saw the lives of those godly men and believed on Christ. And they became an example to all those who believe in Macedonia and Achaia. The idea was in all of Greece, their faith had spread throughout the world. Reports of their 
Christian faith, hope, and love flourished. And Paul is thankful. He now links together their patience and faith. One article, the word the, connecting the two. Their patience speaks of a steadfast endurance. And their faith here, now whether it's referring to them just trusting the Lord or their faithfulness, pistis can carry both ideas. Uh, it shows that they were consistent, they were continual, and they were faithful in what they were called to do and called to be. So they're faithful in all their persecutions and tribulations. I want you to think about this. They were persecuted for what? Obeying the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all the nations. They were persecuted. They experienced tribulations, pressures that came upon them, perhaps from those who hated Jesus, shut them down. Maybe they wouldn't sell food to them. Maybe they wouldn't give them supplies that they needed. We don't know exactly but they are enduring tribulations. I don't know how observant you are, but when I read Second Thessalonians 1, and then down here in verse 4, did you notice anything missing compared to 1 Thessalonians 1.3? Let me read 1.3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of Hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Three things, a triad, that these saints had faith, hope, and love. But now, notice in the greeting, when you come down to verse 4 in 2 Thessalonians, a term is missing, that of hope. Many commentators say, well, it's not a big deal because Paul speaks about their patience. But I would say, hold on a second. When we get to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, there was false, erroneous correspondence that was given to the saints. In essence, saying that they missed the rapture. So as Paul is writing 2 Thessalonians, it's in the context of these individuals because of bad doctrine propagated among them. That they were now in the day of the Lord. That would rock your boat, would it not? What is the rapture? In Ephesians 4, 4, Paul refers it as one hope of your calling. But it's the idea of hope. And then in Titus 2, 13, we are to look for the blessed hope. I believe that one of the reasons Paul writes this letter is to restore their hope. That they did not miss the rapture, and we'll see more of this in the future, but that they are now to continue to wait for the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So just keep this in mind. With that, let me share point number one. Praise God for maturing, suffering saints and honor them. Praise God for maturing, suffering saints and honor them. That's verses 3 
through four. When you observe those that are growing in the faith and God will use those persecutions, he will use those tribulations to cause them to grow. But make sure that you honor those individuals. They need your encouragement. They need your support. They need your prayers. So honor them. Point number two, anticipate. And the word anticipate carries the idea of doing something as you're waiting. Anticipate God repaying the wicked and rewarding the righteous. Now down in verse 5, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Manifest evidence. That's one word from the Greek, two in the English The idea here, because of the ending, which in the Greek is ma, it shows the result accomplished here, that this is something that has been done, a manifest evidence. Their steadfast endurance is pointed out, that is because it's so clear, that everyone could see that they are remaining loyal to the Lord despite all that they are enduring and it refers here also to the righteous judgment of god while the second coming of jesus christ not the rapture but at the end of the tribulation revelation 19 when christ comes back to the earth a second time his judgment will be enacted the righteous judgment of god see the word that it speaks of purpose you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of god worthy so much bad doctrine floating around our country in the globe that god wants us to be happy that god wants us to be prosperous that god wants us to be safe but that's not the message of the old or new testaments When you study the scripture carefully, you learn that one of the things you should expect is that you're going to have persecutions and tribulation. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 41, the apostles are treated poorly. And Luke writes, rejoicing that they were, and here's our expression, counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Even as the apostles were beaten, treated shamefully, they rejoiced because they understood that this was part of their calling. It's one thing to know the power of the resurrection, that I may know him And the power of his resurrection, but also, as it says in Philippians 3.10, and the fellowship of his sufferings, that we enter into a relationship with Christ who suffered for us. And when we suffer for him, it should not only be anticipated, but we should rejoice. Paul says, as Luke records in Acts 14.22, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. We must. First Thessalonians, would you turn with me? Chapter 2, verse 12. First Thessalonians 2.12. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Part of walking worthy 
is to continue to endure the persecutions and tribulations. These saints were doing exactly that. Paul, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29, writes these words, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. We are appointed to this. We need to expect this. Down in verse 6, chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. It is a righteous thing. The Almighty takes note of when his saints are persecuted. The cry comes from the altar in Revelation 16 and verse 7, saying these words, True and righteous are your judgments, referring to the bold judgments during the latter part of the tribulation. It is a righteous thing to repay, to pay back that which is to be received with tribulation. Those who afflict you, child of God, will be afflicted. They will not get away with treating you with contempt. Because remember, as Jesus encounters Paul on the road to Damascus, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? As the apostle Paul, formerly Saul, had incarcerated the saints, standing there at the death of Stephen, Acts 7, consenting to the death. I want you to think about this. Jesus says, as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. So our Lord observes, he records, and he repays those who trouble his saints with tribulation. Verse 7, and here's an encouraging word to you. And to give you who are troubled rest with us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels to give you rest. It means liberty. Secularly, it was used of loosing the bow string that you don't carry that tension in the future when you are with the Lord. When will this happen since he's dealing with the tribulation period when the Lord Jesus is revealed? It's the term revelation that is used here. It's not the rapture, but the second coming of Jesus Christ. The same term that we find in Revelation chapter 1. See, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And what is to be anticipated as you are working through the book of Revelation is when you get to chapter 19, Verses 11 and 21 through 21, where Jesus Christ is coming back the second time to judge those that oppose him. Now, we have three prepositional phrases that follow when the Lord Jesus is revealed. We'll notice number one from heaven, number two with his mighty angels and number three in flaming 
fire. Let's begin with the first one. Where does he come from heaven? That's where he's at. He's no longer in the tomb. The writer of Hebrews pens in chapter 8 and verse 1. The one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. It's a reference to where Christ is. Because once he conquered death, he ministered to his disciples for 40 days. We learn about that from Acts chapter 1. He ascended to the right hand of the Father because his work had been completed. He sat down. So this is where he will return from. Notice as well. The second prepositional phrase, with his mighty angels. Matthew 16 and verse 27. For the son of man will come in the glory of his father with his angels. And then in Matthew 25 and verse 31, when the son of man, and by the way, that's a messianic term going back to Daniel 7, pointing to Jesus' second coming to Put down his enemies and establish his kingdom. When the son of man in his glory and all the holy angels with him. And now our third prepositional phrase in flaming fire. Now, if it is looking back, it's describing the essence of Jesus Christ. Because God is often characterized as fire, right? In Exodus chapter 3, we have the burning bush. Many times in Scripture, our Lord is depicted with that fire. But if it's looking forward, it's talking about the judgment that will be coming upon the people. But either way, keep this in mind. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 29. For our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. So taking vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. I want to pick up on the idea of taking vengeance. Luke chapter 4. Coming down to verse 18, Jesus has gone to his hometown of Nazareth. He had selected the scripture he wanted to read. The scroll's given to him. It's rolled out. And this is what he says. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. And he's reading from Isaiah chapter 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the acceptable year of the Lord. But he stops reading at that point, why does he stop with the acceptable year of the Lord? Because his first coming consisted of seeking and saving that which was lost. His second coming has a very different purpose. In Isaiah chapter 61, we have just looked at the quote from Luke 4, 18 and 19. But notice now in Isaiah 61 verse 2. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And what is the next statement? 
and the day of vengeance of our God. Within verse 2, we have two comings. The first coming of Jesus Christ, the acceptable year of the Lord. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's John three seventeen. But then we have, after the comma, and a day of vengeance of our God. This is referring to the tribulation period. In Isaiah chapter 63, we learn that when Jesus Christ comes back a second time, he begins his judgment down in Edom. He will have that two-edged sword in his mouth. And as he comes back, he will slay his enemies. But then in Isaiah 63, this is verse 4. For the day of vengeance is in my heart. What's it called, everyone? The day of vengeance is in my heart. And the year of my redeemed has come and they're going to notice that he has blood on his vesture why because he has slayed his enemies just showing us the second coming of jesus christ back with me the second thessalonians please so in verse 8 taking vengeance on those who do not know god and those who do not obey the gospel of our lord jesus christ i want to point out to you that there are two separate groups in mind the article the word the emerges before each group the first group on those who do not know god most likely a reference to the gentiles those who do not know god listen to jeremiah 10 25 pour out your fury on the gentiles who do not know you interesting how the gentiles are described and in first thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 5 not in passion of lust like the gentiles who do not know god so that's group number one and then it says and on those who do not obey the gospel of our lord jesus christ i believe this is referring to the jews in romans chapter 10 in verse 16 speaking about the israelites but they have not all obeyed the gospel so no one is going to be excluded from the judgment when jesus comes back the second time all those opposed to him will know his fury verse 9 these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. The relative pronoun these brings the two groups together. Observe they shall be punished. How? With everlasting destruction, not annihilation, with everlasting destruction actually here shall be punished has this appositional phrase with it is placed side by side with everlasting destruction and then we have two prepositional phrases enhancing this notice number one from the presence of the lord and number two and from the glory of his power from the presence of the lord the preposition from shows separation, appa. 
It shows that they will be cut off, separated from the Lord. Because what is eternal life? Consider this. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. In John 17, verse 3, Jesus says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Hell The lake of fire is separation from the true God forever. And now the second prepositional phrase, from the glory of his power. In Revelation 3.10, we might know his resurrected power. These individuals will be separated from the glory of his power. Verse 10, when he comes. I love scripture. (laughs) I love the detail in scripture when not if, but he comes, he doesn't use that as a future tense verb of echomai. He uses the past tense. The idea is it's so sure that he will come a second time that the writer puts it in the past tense. When he comes in that day, the day of the Lord to be glorified. And it doesn't say here among the saints, but notice carefully In the saints, there's a work that the Lord was doing in the hearts of his people. That is what is being focused upon here in verse 10 and to be admired among all those who believe all the saints are going to marvel at Jesus Christ. It is so great to think of this. Why? Because our testimony among you was believed. Was believed is emphatically placed in the Greek tense. Paul goes back in 1 Thessalonians 2.13 how these same saints received the word of God. They welcomed it and it had changed them forever. So our first point, praise God. For maturing, suffering saints and honor them. Secondly, anticipate God repaying the wicked and rewarding the righteous. It's coming. The wicked will get their just due. And now our third and final point, pray for believers to fulfill their calling and glorify Jesus Christ. Let me say it one more time. Pray for believers to fulfill their calling and glorify Jesus. Down in verse 11. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling. The word therefore clearly links Verses 5 through 10 with the prayer that is now being offered. Therefore, we also pray always. Pray always. The term prayer is a general term for prayer. Same one we find in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. To pray without ceasing. If you recall back in our study, without ceasing, pray. The modifier is given first in the Greek without ceasing pray. This is exactly what Paul does. He encourages the saints back then to pray always. And this is what he does. We also pray 
always. You got to love a man who practices what he preaches, that our God would count you worthy of this calling purpose that our God would count you worthy even to suffer for Christ is a privilege. It, it, it shows even the unsaved world with whom we identify and believe in because we persist that he's not a dead God. He's not a lucky rabbit's foot. He's not just, if you will, an idol on someone's wall with Christ hanging on the cross. He's the living God who has given us what? This calling, the call to salvation. And fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, his good pleasure. Again, one word from the Greek. We have two in English. We find the term in Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Gotta love the work of sanctification. You get saved. You're secure for all of eternity. Christ holds on to us. But then he wants you to grow. And he always does his part. He does. He will complete what he starts in each and every one of us. That's Philippians 1.6. We can have a confidence in that. But we also need to submit. We need to yield in our progressive sanctification. That's why we have all those commands to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Obey him. Why are those commands given? Because there is a choice that we have to make. Don't we, child of God? That we're going to work in conjunction with the process of God and sanctification. He's going to complete the work anyhow. But isn't it far better to partner with him, be obedient and to submit and to yield? So when we get to the end of the Christian journey, there's reward because we have done those things that have been pleasing in his sight. And then to close this out, down in verse 12, with a purpose that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. The name represents the character of the person. As we see this in John 1, 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on what? His name. In Acts 4.12, there's no other name given under heaven. He's got the greatest name, Jesus Christ. And you in him. I love this. It's a mutual abiding. We are to abide in him in Him as he abides in us. It's John chapter 15. See that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ might be glorified in you and you in him. And this is according According to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace excludes human merit. First Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Paul accomplished more. Then his peers, the other apostles, why? 
because of the richness of God's grace in his life. Let's bring this all together now. Number one, praise God for maturing saints and honor them. When you see those that are suffering but yet growing, give praise to God. Make sure you honor those saints. They need your support. They need your prayers. They need your encouragement. At times, they're going to need your financial support. Just honor them. Number two, anticipate God repaying the wicked and rewarding the righteous. Most likely, the couple that had come into the IHOP that tormented that dear waitress for just doing her job. You know, I pray that one day they come to know Jesus Christ and that they would live differently. But if they don't, they're going to be accountable for everything they do. No one gets away with anything. Our Lord notes all those who torment and persecute us for our commitment to Jesus Christ. And those who have heard us along the journey will not get away with anything. And in number three, pray for believers to fulfill their calling and glorify Jesus. Pray, pray, pray. So often we pray about the material, but as you read the prayers, particularly of Paul, In the epistles, he's praying for their spiritual growth. Read in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Read in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. See how the apostle Paul prays for the growth of the believers. In Philippians and Colossians, observe the prayers. And it's so that the saints might grow and mature spiritually. Because that's so much more important than just the externals. Let's pray for our fellow believers to fulfill their God-given calling because when they are doing what they are supposed to be doing, we complete the great commission that we are called to do to find the lost and to train the found for the glory of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father. These were exceptional saints because they chose to honor you and grow mature in the midst of persecution. I thank you that the Apostle Paul shepherded them, cared for them, and helped them to understand, even when they lost their hope, that it could be restored from correct teaching. I pray that we'd have the same care and compassion for those that are being led astray. May we pray for their spiritual growth, that they could reach their families, that they could reach their co-workers and neighbors, that the gospel of Christ would flourish, finding the lost and training the found for God's glory. And I pray in the name that is above every name, in the name of Jesus, amen. <laughs> 